0: lights out and
1: away we go. All the right friends and all the right places. So yeah, we're going down. They got all the right moves and all the right faces. So yeah, we're going down. Let's paint the picture of the perfect place. They got a better one than anyone told you. They'll be the king of hearts and you're the queen of space. Then we'll fight for you like
0: Podcasting from Studio 2520, somewhere near Akron, Ohio, and live via the paid subscription of Zencaster. The campus of Otterbein University, Westerville, Ohio. This is the first installment for 2024. This is Tackling the Chicane. So, our opening music this evening is by none other than One Republic, which was an American pop band formed in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Believe it or not. Achieving success first on MySpace in the early 2000s, mm-hmm. did not uh, carve out a record deal until 2007, and then this tune is off the second album released in 2009 called "Waking Up."
1: This, this is, is a pretty a, good
0: song, actually. This is one of All the
1: boobs. one of the first bands. I ever remember hearing on the radio actually as a young child when I would yep, be would have been 2009 ju- so. yep. six years old hearing this song yep. and uh, uh, they had another big hit from this album I don't remember what it's called but
0: yeah um... go real quick. good life
1: yeah, that one. Yeah, I remember the music video for Good Life" actually. Um, I don't know. Just one of those early memories I have. And it was One Republic, so...
0: Yeah, so 2009, tying in, um, our... F1 off-season coverage, and what we're going to start off with is um, we're going to cover some uh, historical races. Uh, I had just started on Hulu the documentary about the Braun GP Formula One team, um, which I knew nothing about until... I saw the advert for the, for the documentary, <coughs> excuse me. Um, basically backstory real quick is um, Honda had a factory backed F1 team um, that not only provided power units, but was, you know, a full team on the car, Honda, Honda F1 racing. Uh, 2008 comes around financial uh, global financial crisis uh throws the economy into a tailspin basically and uh honda reluctantly pulls the cord on their f1 program um which was based in brackley north england and they had 700 employees at race operations when they decided they were going to pull the plug on it um a gentleman by the name of ross braun who was the race director at honda and had been uh pretty high up in a couple of other teams before that uh, and was already known as kind of a genius basically went to the honda execs and said look it's going to cost you 300 million dollars to shut the program down and you're going to have to let you know lay off 700 people why don't you give give us a hundred million dollars and we'll run a season it's cheaper than you shutting the program down and i will buy the team from you so that you're you know absolved of your responsibilities for one british sterling pound which he (laughs) did and i don't want to ruin it for anybody that hasn't started it yet but basically they came out in the first season in 2009 and um, started taking poles not just pole position but pole number 2 pole and number 2 position with drivers Jensen Button and Rubens Barrichello and then proceeded to win several races in a row and as we all know how things go in F1 uh that was to the great disdain of the other nine teams yep uh- um, so yes that's kind of where I'm at with it right now is uh, you know everybody's trying to to hang this team. Uh, and consequently, I, this is interesting about the 2009 season because Bernie Eccleston was such an asshole (laughs) (laughs) and just an all around weird dude. He was the, uh, director of the FIA or the CEO of the FIA at the time. Yeah. Um, the teams were so, so upset at his tyrannical reign that they actually started their own organization called FOTA and it's the formula one teams association. And they were going to try to secede from the entire thing. So that's an interesting aspect to this, uh, particular doc as well is, and they're just, we just kind of got to that. Yeah. Um, spoiler alert. all these teams are together meeting, uh, you know, off on their own and then Braun, gets sucked back to eccleston because he bribed them with cash basically so that's where i'm at with it right now is to see what happens with the whole photo excuse me photo thing and uh, so on so so far it's only a four-parter so it's you don't have a big investment in it it's about four hours but so far i thought it was pretty well done yeah so with that being said i think we're going to try to if it's available and it should be The next F1 race that we covered is going to be the 2009 Australian uh, GP. Yeah, it sounds
1: good. Like I said, pre-recording, actually watched a few races from that season. Um, Major difference you'll see is going to be the, the fueling aspect of things. So obviously now you run on a singular tank of gas the entire way whereas you could actually refuel back in the day and there was fuel strategy and it affects races in a much bigger way, obviously, because I believe at that time it was a V10 engine that uh, sucked a lot more fuel down than the modern V6 hybrid.
0: Yeah, and I don't... I'll have to do a little bit of research on that particular power unit, but it, it ran at like fifteen thousand rpm or something some ungodly number and it it sounds like nothing that you've that i've heard in the modern era yeah i do remember the early 2000s cars i went to a practice uh a a practice in india when they ran two years there and those engines were the same i mean you you couldn't stand a lap without having really really good ear protection Uh, Mm -hmm. that that's interesting and just the uh the, the layout of the car, it doesn't look too terribly different, but at the same time, it looks very different. Yeah. Um, wheels and tires appear to be a much smaller diameter and width. Yep. And the rear wing is of note um, quite a bit smaller. But uh, Yeah,
1: everything has kind of gotten larger on the the modern F1 car, much to think, the dismay yeah, of many wheel, people. Yeah.
0: The wheelbase is a lot longer than on these older cars, and then the other thing is, is there was no halo back then, so it's mm-hmm. open
1: cockpit. Yeah, yeah, there actually is quite a bit of change from even just fifteen years ago, um, which is, I think, one of the one of the great things about F one is it doesn't really stay stand still ever, constantly developing, which is interesting.
0: Well, it's a, a lot of that has to do with the rules changes that happen every four ish years Mm -hmm. where basically the FIA says, okay, everybody's figured out how to cheat around the rules that we had before. So now we're going to enforce a bunch of new rules and you're going to have to figure out how to cheat around these. Yeah. Um, Which was again, another interesting point with this Braun team is, is it was a brand new for 2009 um, you know, it's a brand new set of rules and a brand new spec and everything. And and uh, they figured out a way to, they actually were the one of the first, if not the first team that I know of that started um, redoing the underside of the car. Mm-hmm. So they called it a double diffuser. And then they blew the field away for the first half of the season. And then everybody else decided they were going to, figure out how to make a double diffuser and so on and so forth. But um, yeah, just kind of, kind of interesting stuff there. And I guess to sort of preview, um, I don't know. I think we'll wait till the season starts, but I've, I've gotten a little bit lazy. I'd like to bring that back to tech segments. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm hoping we can do that when, once the season starts, uh, which I will do. I, we need to bring that back. I think that was just me, me being lame basically. So.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, um, so yeah, we'll definitely be looking into some more classic races in probably the next episode, uh, a dip into the 2009 formula one season, uh, and the story that was Braun GP, um, anything else formula one related as we are currently in the doldrums of the off season?
0: No, but it's funny to see, um, people in the background of this when they were, when they had footage of, of 2009, like Chris, uh, yeah, no, I just forgot the guy. Christian name. Horner. Christian Horner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, 12 years ago or 13 years ago. And believe me, uh, he must've made a lot of money because he certainly didn't look any as cleaned up as he does right now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> that was, um, uh, let's see seven Red Bull world championships ago, <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. six and then seven drivers. So yeah, it's neat. It'll be neat to see, you know, like that old in a Red Bull uniform and all that kind of stuff. So
1: yeah, for sure. History. Yeah. And, in- some drivers that have continued to run in the series, i.e. Fernando Alonso and Lewis Hamilton, right. amongst others. So, yeah. All right. Well, in that case, I think we will uh, move on from Formula One here, brief segment, and uh, we'll continue to dip into that um, in future episodes. Uh, but I guess the headliner here for today's show... Um, as it usually is when this match comes around. Derby Day in Glasgow, uh, the second match between uh, Crosstown rivals Celtic and Rangers for this season. Um, many expecting um, title implications, as it usually is um, in Scotland between these two clubs. And, um, I, you know, we talked, I think, before the new year uh, on the last show that we did, that um, we felt like maybe Celtic were in a bit of trouble. Um, Two league losses in a row, which hadn't happened in quite a long time. Uh, Rangers looked like the team to beat in Scotland. They had just lifted the league cup against Aberdeen uh, and, you know, had a, a great run of form. Um In the league, uh, heading into uh the biggest match of them all in Scotland, um, and it did seem like you know Celtic were going to be in some pretty deep trouble uh if they were not able to kind of stave off Rangers at Celtic Park and um, that you know we would get a a rather tense uh, title race going into the second half of the season. Um, I guess, you know, as a, a general overview here, that, that did not happen. Um, this match kind of... Well, I'd like to hear your opinion on it a little bit. Just did it live up to expectations? You know, we knew that Celtic were struggling a little bit heading into this one. Um, they did win against Dundee right before, but, you know... Was there nerves? What was going on there?
0: Um, Well, first of all, uh, were they in first place going into this match? Yeah, so they, yeah. I'm I'm looking at both teams won four of their last five games. Mm -hmm. It looks like. Um, I didn't know how close, how many points that the Rangers were back so going into this match
1: but yeah um well it's weird right now because they don't have the same amount of matches played um so celtic have played 22 matches rangers have played 20 so you if you expect rangers to win their games in hand um they would only be two points back from uh celtic so Theoretically speaking, if it, it, it was in the position where if Celtic lost against Rangers, they basically would have um, given control of the league to Rangers effectively. Um, so it was kind of a um, not a make or break moment necessarily for either of these two teams, but um, it was a match that definitely had a lot of title implications. Um, and, you know, coming out of it with uh, a celtic win you do kind of feel like maybe they've sort of steadied the ship a little bit from uh, a rather rough patch that they had um in december um but yeah so as always huge implications with this one um atmosphere uh pretty good i would say um right now we're in a a period where these two teams are being basically giant fucking dicks to each other. Um, uh, almost F1-esque in the sense that they, they can't or will not come to a, I guess, consensus or, uh, I don't know. Basically no away fans are allowed, uh, in this match at the moment. Um, because basically it started with uh, initially in years past, and you can look this up on YouTube, and I would advise you to do that or listeners. when these two teams played, it was um you know, the home team, whoever it was, and then five to eight thousand away fans roped off, sectioned off, and it would be an awesome atmosphere. now, of course, it's zero. So, um, you know, we'll get into it here later, but when Rangers end up scoring, it's like, it just is very weird because there's no reaction. And then, um, but it started basically, Rangers cut that allocation of away fans to like 700 or something. So like a 10th of what it was. Um, Basically, a lot of people theorize it's because Celtic kept winning uh, at Ibrox, where Rangers play, and they were getting a big boost from all of the away fans. So then, of course, Celtic said, okay, well, if you're only allowing 700 away fans when we play, we're doing the same thing. We're not giving you thousands. Um,
0: How many many people does the Rangers venue seat?
1: uh it's like 50,000 ish
0: so it's close to the same yeah celtic is like 60
1: yeah um so of course you have this this sort of cat and mouse thing going on well then it became um um so celtic had 700 away fans uh in a derby last year um and apparently I am using air quotes. Uh Celtic fans that were traveling there felt unsafe in that um there was some trouble basically Rangers fans throwing stuff at them or whatever. Um and after that Celtic was basically like okay, we're 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 done. We're not allowing away fans. Rangers did the same and ever since it's been these official press release statements on Twitter going back and forth about uh, how they don't want away fans or uh, basically using what I see as very weak excuses as to not have away fans. And I think the reason I spend time on this is just because it totally kind of... It it definitely ruins the atmosphere of a game when there's quite literally only one... (laughs) set of fans in the venue, um, and it just, I don't know. I think it takes away from a bit of the prestige of this match. Hello? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still here. Oh, sorry.
0: I had to press the mute button for a second. Um, so, first of all, I don't think that it should be the team's place to say who can come to the venue. That should be a league decision. Yeah. If it gets too dangerous, quote unquote, to go, then that's a choice that you make as an individual fan. Um, I agree with the, I agree with you in that, and I I did hear mention of something to that effect, but I didn't have the full story mm-hmm. when I was watching the game. Um, but yeah, I mean, who nobody wants to go watch. Nobody wants to watch a game where it's a hundred percent home home fans yeah and nobody wants to play in that atmosphere frankly yeah so, I, I, you know how at what point does the league say you can't do that especially isn't this the the most the oldest and the most important uh darby in the entire league
1: yeah <laughs> i mean
0: yeah so is, it is okay <laughs> Yeah, and that's even more reason that you should be like, okay, figure it out, mm-hmm. and even even eight thousand out of fifty—that's not a lot. No, I mean I get it because people want to go watch. So I, I would be better. It's better off. It's better to have eight thousand than than zero. Yeah, uh, and that's
1: what it should be. You know it. You can, again, you can look at old clips of this game and see just how great the atmosphere was because there was two sets of fan bases in there like in any other league match. Um, And I don't know. I just think it's dumb. And then you look down the road at Edinburgh and Hearts and Hibbs, who are, you know, bitter rivals, they can can figure it out. They had 4,000 Hearts fans at Easter Road the other day. and there wasn't problems, so I don't know. I think it's just that it's a a bit of a stain on the on the rivalry at the moment, and you know you can point fingers any way you want, but i I'm kind of just annoyed by it to be honest at the end of the day, and I think a lot of people uh on both sets of fan bases and other fans within the league or people that watch are also equally annoyed so.
0: How long has this been going on? A couple of seasons? Or
1: um, so no Darby has had away fans this year out of the two. so And then last year, um, at the end, there wasn't. There was one match where there were a, two matches where there were a small set of away fans. And then the season prior, it was off and on. So it hasn't been the full like 8,000 in a few years, um, which is a real shame. But yeah, just something that I think is completely unnecessary right now
0: uh, takes away from the the spectacle. I would have to agree. Um, As far as the game goes, uh, this one got off to a very quick pace. Uh, Both teams were really anxious and really we're just wanting to put one in the box quickly Mm -hmm. most definitely um there were two two almost identical punch away saves one by celtic and one by uh, the rangers keeper within i don't know maybe the first like seven or eight minutes of the match Mm -hmm. um i didn't i didn't recognize uh alistair johnson For Celtic is is has he been around a while he's been around
1: yeah he's been around for about a year now he came in from um Nashville SC actually in uh, MLS uh he's a Canadian um yeah he's uh he's uh been uh a right back mostly for Celtic and um He's basically completely won that spot. Um, sometimes it'll be uh, Anthony Ralston, so you know, depending on what match you you see, it it could be different. But he's basically won over that job. Um, I guess you know, looking at the starting eleven of these two teams, there are definitely some faces you know that maybe uh, people aren't. Uh, too terribly familiar with and one of those ended up being the goal scorer uh, Paulo Bernardo for Celtic he came in uh, over the summer but hasn't really played much up until this point and has finally gotten a run into the team Uh, he's 21 years old from Portugal Uh, and then looking at the Rangers starting 11 uh, quite a few faces that um, you know maybe people aren't uh, totally familiar with, uh, Abdullah Seema, uh, uh, playing left wing, um, is 22 years old, probably been at least their second best player this season, and then Ross McCausland, who's 20 years old, we saw a bit of him in the League Cup final, um, also a, a relatively new face at Rangers, so sort of a, a, a different-looking um 11 from both of these teams um than what we're used to and honestly when I saw the starting 11 for Celtic I I actually felt pretty confident it it was about the strongest team they could have put out so um I think you know within this match they were definitely rewarded for that um you know that like you said they definitely came out hot and um not necessarily testing goal all that much, but definitely putting pressure on the defense.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, this was one of those matches that you could actually stay engaged with. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, maybe it's the style of play. Maybe it's the speed of play. Um, I didn't find myself having to um, <clears throat> entertain <laughs> between goals. So that's always a good thing. Yeah. Um, Dyson Maida did not look too good to me for some reason. Uh, I don't know if you picked up on that or not. Uh, I did. I the, pitch, the pitch was, the, that feed is so bad. Uh, you know, we're so used to seeing every blade of grass when you watch a, a H, you know, high def, mm-hmm. a U.S. broadcast of sports. But that pitch, it, it looks horrible.
1: Yeah, it was in terrible condition. A lot of people were talking about that during the match. Um, yeah, in of course, in Britain in the winter, that just means it rains all the time. So I think some of that is not totally in the hands of the club necessarily. But yeah, the pitch was terrible. And going back to Dyson Maeda, uh, awful. I thought he was terrible. Uh, and I I definitely get very frustrated watching him because for example, you know, he he'll get a pass to him and the first touch just the ball goes in a crazy direction or flies off his foot or he tries to put in a cross and it goes into the stands.
0: It's like he doesn't get behind the ball, mate. behind it. He doesn't get behind the ball. It seems like he's always trying to play it like in front of the ball and awkwardly trying to, and like you said, it always scampers off in some weird direction or out of bounds or whatever.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: At least when he was in that corner, um, that's kind of what I, now I've seen the guy play pretty brilliantly also. Yeah. He's, yeah. Not not as of late.
1: (laughs) He's a very boom or bust player, um, which, can be fine but you know someone that's starting week in and week out game after game you would like a lot more consistency and I think that's where Celtic are missing a player like Jota from years past where he was always going to put in a consistent shift and he could actually put in a cross which of course helps uh, (laughs) facilitate goals um, but yeah, I was, I was getting very frustrated at Dyson Maeda. Now, I think, um, you know, wh- why don't we get into the first goal? Because there's some other stuff that I w- would like to get into from this match that um, might have overshadowed that. And uh, one of the better goals you're going to see um, this season from Paulo Bernardo, what did you make of that one?
0: uh bullet yeah i mean that's what i had palmer just a great pass in and and before i knew what ha- what happened it was he just rifled it in so he definitely has and that somebody said that was not his that was his weak weak foot at least i heard that on tv I yeah don't know must have been not, <laughs> sure didn't look like it um no I mean, he, he really did. He fired that thing in there and it was pretty sweet. Only was it was only the third goal allowed by Rangers on the road. Yeah. I heard that stat. Year. So that's interesting. I mean, Jesus to play the games that they played and have only two goals goals scored on you on the, on, on the road is pretty interesting.
1: Yeah. And, um, one of them was the first game of the year against Kilmarnock that they lost one nil, but yeah, uh, A rather weird stat. Um, Another thing about Rangers uh, that was just broken the other day in a match they played after this, they went, uh, I think it was 72 or three league matches without getting a penalty awarded against them. So basically, without, yeah, without conceding a penalty.
0: 73. Yeah. Think of, think of it was the brazilian guy this the one brazilian guy still play for them i can't remember his name and, and that
1: oh um, um me, like there's alfredo morelos morelos he, he was colombian but yeah my fault
0: that guy always made things interesting <laughs> yeah they, he was a little bit he was a little bit uh physical mm-hmm. and was built like a like a linebacker basically. Yeah, he's notoriously uh
1: chunky per se. Uh I, I think I think with this Rangers team, they are des- they are really missing a guy like that who can just bag goals for you, sort of just a pure striker, because in this match until the very end, their attack didn't look all that um concerning from a, a defensive standpoint. Um they Serial Dessers, I mean, their striker missed quite a few chances in this one or just didn't make anything of any chances that he was getting. Um, and I think I think that really went to hurt them. They just don't really have uh, an attack that really scares you in any way.
0: Uh, <clears throat> Other than that, the, the only... I mean, Cantwell usually makes himself a little better known. Yeah, he didn't do anything either. He didn't do much. (laughs) No. Took a shot in the 38th minute that didn't really, I don't know, wasn't anything to write home about. And then, uh, is it (laughs) Navrovsky that came in for uh,
1: Welsh? Yeah, so Stephen Welsh, the already backup center back, uh... I think he has a shoulder injury in this one. And Mike Navrotsky, I think is how he wants it said. He's Polish. Mm-hmm. Um, comes in, and this is a guy who hadn't featured at all for Celtics since August. Um, and they bought him over the summer.
0: Decently.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think he did too. I think he probably won a little bit of, of time in future matches. Um, because there were rumors circulating that he was going to be gone. Um, because he didn't play for whatever reason. But I think any time I've seen him play for Celtic has, has been pretty decent. So I'd like to see more of him. And
0: Welsh was already in for Carter Vickers?
1: Yeah, Carter Vickers, uh, another injury, um, which they kind of seem to be piling up for him uh, in recent months, I guess. So hopefully that's not something uh, that will affect him long term. Um, but yeah, uh, I guess, why don't we go into the second half here and it didn't take all but two minutes for Mr. Kyogo Furuhashi to pretty much unleash what is one of the best goals you're likely to see, uh, from this match. Um, what did you think of this one?
0: It was pretty, it was pretty far out there. I, what do they call that? The half circle at the top of that box. Does that have a name or not? I don't really think it has a name, honestly. I called it the arc. <laughs> yeah, close enough. No, uh, I mean, that'll work. <laughs> I mean, he was he was behind that, yeah, and, and took a decent shot. I mean, it was quick. The ball came in from all of all people, Maeda. Yeah, and it was like two tenths of a second, and it was a laser from there. So, I, but that's Kyogo Ke- plays like that. Um, he hasn't had quite the fanfares that he had last year. No, definitely not. But maybe those, those will come, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it just depends. He, he has to be fed first.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I think a lot <laughs> he, of that he has to
0: of be that. given de- a decent chance. Mm-hmm.
1: A lot of that all comes right. from the winger play that hasn't really been all that great. Uh, in my opinion, this year for Celtic, um, but yeah, that is that is going to go down as one of the better goals from this particular uh, derby that you're going to see. Um, and like you said, he really only needs one, even just half chance, and, and it's showtime now. I don't know if you had anything on this uh, uh, note, and I don't remember what minute it occurs, but there's the, the handball check from Alistair Johnston. Uh, do you remember that occurring where... It basically looked like a stonewall handball from Johnston
0: and it was not awarded. Yeah, it was it, it seemed like it didn't take very long for them to make that decision. Usually that's you can see a few replays of it. Yeah. Um I guess I I didn't notice it because it was such a quick call. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know. It was I don't so there's been a whole
1: hullabaloo about it since because everything is, uh, whoever loses this match is getting cheated by the referees as, as you know how it goes. Um, so it, he's trying to make a clearance, a ball comes in to the box and he honestly he kind of just punches it away out of bounds and it's not given as a handball and you don't really get any other explanation. Um, and Rangers fans, I think, rightfully aggrieved about that. But then, come to find out, um, he, um, the Rangers player, was offside anyway, so it wouldn't have been given a penalty. But basically, that description was not, was not good enough for Rangers fans, and they they thought it was collusion against them.
0: Yeah, I don't I don't know how I I didn't pick up on that particular play for some reason um when around was that after the the goal after the, the kyogo goal in 47th minute? i'm trying to
1: find it on the the list of events here um because i wasn't able to take notes for this one um, let's see i i don't forgive my horrific research but i just remember it occurring um, and there was there was big kerfuffle about it because like i said you know when a, a call goes against you in this match um everyone thinks it's because the ref is a celtic fan or a rangers fan or whatever and it's kind of just a shit show from
0: there but um well yeah and then Johnston fouls uh Sema yeah i do remember and that this guy parks his carcass on the fucking pitch for like seven minutes yep and you know there these guys are cradling his head like he's got some kind of cranial injury yeah i mean he took a pretty good elbow to the face yeah don't get me wrong but there was no there was not like he was visibly cut or i I don't know i just that was to me that was we need some extra time in this one let's settle down yeah yeah I mean, Jesus, that they they were they had him laid out there like he was paralyzed from the waist down.
1: Yeah, uh, I know they're 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 trying to. I think it's good intent, you know, because they're trying to limit like head injuries. But yeah, when it ends up not being serious, it's like Jesus Christ, we just wasted how many minutes on that. And Johnston's always a guy that's throwing himself into tackles because. Uh, he is North American, and I think we just play a, a physical brand <laughs> by nature because most of these guys grow up playing, you know, fucking hockey or football or whatever. Um, and he's one of them. So I love a player like that. And then, 71st minute here, uh, the red card, the send off of uh, Leon Baligan, I believe, uh, of Rangers. He basically pulls down Maeda, uh, to prevent him scoring basically. And it's straight red.
0: And notably the first red card in 13, uh, all firm games. So they've played 13 games without a red card Mm -hmm. in this particular, uh, fixture, I guess, if you will. Yeah. Um, but here's what I noticed. It didn't seem to fucking matter that they only had nine guys.
1: Uh, yeah. They actually started to play harder. I was just going to say that.
0: And I'm like, we're supposed to have the advantage here, but it looks like they've got us rocked back on our heels and they've got, they've got one less guy that, and that went on for 20, 20 plus minutes like that. Almost just them ping ponging all around and, uh, well, it wouldn't have been 20 minutes, 70, 71st. It ended up being like 30 minutes with added time. Oh yeah. Cause there was eight minutes of stoppage yeah. and then that eight minutes turned into 10. Yeah. This one went, uh, 101 minutes. I wrote it down. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. I was going to bring that up after the explanation of the red card. Um, I think what ended up happening is Celtic were like, all right, late in the second half, two nil up at home. Man advantage, we're sitting back. This game's done, you know, and I thought that too. Um, And we know this is one of the great soccer cliches. Um, The second you just sit back and wait for shit to happen, what happens? Shit. So um, Rangers all of a sudden creating issues in the Celtic defense, testing Joe Hart, Uh, And then the culmination of that is James Tavernier, um, given a free kick opportunity in a dangerous position from a stupid Celtic challenge. And it's James Tavernier, uh, who, if you're not familiar, has a great reputation in Scotland for absolutely masterful free kicks.
0: Well, Um, and this one was. Yeah. Because it had, it bent... I, you don't see too many shots like that. I even replayed it a couple of times because it was. Hart had no chance. Yeah, I mean this thing was inches, below the, the crossbar mm-hmm. at the top, but it started out. I don't know. It looked like a comet. It just it made a it made almost a complete left turn. <laughs> it, was, it was wild. Magic I mean, Loogie esque. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so then now you're like, okay, well there's a lot of momentum when you can convert a free kick like that because basically you you know, you're trying to build your wall defensively. Yeah. And then he just bends the ball right around everybody, including the keeper. And now every, the the announcers even were like, "Oh, now they've got eight extra minutes to try to to equalize this thing." And the way <laughs> At the pace of the play that they were, that the Rangers were making at that time, I, I wasn't. Comp- I wasn't confident that that it that it wasn't going to end up equalized. Yeah, it, it well, felt. They're, yeah, they're going to just fucking fire down the field, and it's going to be two two with four minutes to go, and then we're going to be screwed. Yeah, that's exactly what I felt like. Um,
1: two 0 dangerous lead in soccer, uh, as many would say, and that goal comes in from Tav and then it's eight minutes added on. And you just, it was like every, every move Rangers made was working and it was, you know, they put a ball in and you're wincing and oh God, oh God, you're doing that for like 10 minutes.
0: That, well, and, and then, you know, it's, it's 98 minutes and change and the announcers are like, surely we've only got a few seconds left. And then the clock just kept running and running, yeah. and running and running and Celtics standing on the sideline trying not to throw the ball in, but mm-hmm. after, you know, four or five seconds, they got to throw the ball in and then the clock's still running <laughs> yeah, and running. And it, like I said, it ended up running past the 99th minute by like two, two full minutes. Yeah. So really it was 11 minutes
1: mm-hmm.
0: of stoppage, which, you know, that's almost uh That's a lot of minutes. (laughs) That is a lot of minutes indeed. Um,
1: It did make for entertaining soccer uh, because you felt like at 2-0, this one was all but done and dusted. But I got to give at least a little bit of kudos to Rangers in terms of their comeback in making it interesting while down 10 men. Although I do have to wonder how much of that was self-inflicted wounds from Celtic. Um, more than really anything, Rangers did. But at the end of the day, it it, it finished two one, and Celtic got the win, and it was a very important one. Like I said, it, it definitely title implications on the line. Um, and I, I by no means would I say Rangers are out of it just because of that game. Like I said, they played two less games, so yeah, it if they win those, they're just two points behind. Um, actually the, the premiership Scottish premiership goes on a little winter hiatus for the next couple weeks. Um, so there won't be any new action coming out of Scotland for a bit. Um, so it it was, it, it's a good way for Celtic to kind of cap off the, the end of the year and progress on into 2024.
0: So I, I have a note here, more of a question than anything. Does a red card mean that you're suspended for the the next match?
1: Yeah, so if you get a red card, um, of course you're ejected from that uh, match, and then you miss the next one. Um, however, there are different types of red cards. So there's the one like Balogun who just made a... Uh, strategic foul that was a red card offense because maeda was you know had a goal scoring opportunity there's also red cards for violent conduct or endangering opponents those are going to be your nasty tackles or what have you uh those can get you a three match suspension so there are different kind of tiers to the red card but yeah uh you don't want to get one regardless basically all right, gotcha. Yeah, so uh, I think that'll pretty much conclude the the soccer talk on the podcast. Um, we're going to be covering a little bit of English uh, FA Cup action this weekend. No Premier League. There's um, the third round where basically all of the big teams enter into the cup competition, so take a look at some action from that competition this weekend, along with um, the classic race review of the 2009 Australian GP. Um, Just before we go, sort of heading out, big game Monday night, uh, January 8th. uh, The Michigan Wolverines will be taking on the Washington Huskies for the biggest prize of them all. Um, just wanted to know if you had any thoughts on that before we left.
0: Well, I, I have a lot of thoughts on, on college football as a whole. Um, I think that the, these top four teams are probably the only two games that you really needed to watch unless you just like to sit and watch bowl games for shits and giggles. Mm -hmm. Um, But I digress because they will have to fix what they've messed up or else, um, you know, if you've got a team that gets picked to go to a bowl game, IE FSU, and then 22 of your players don't start. Yeah that's not a good look and people you know sponsorship for these bowls uh is expensive and they, they only do it for one reason because you can say pop tart 400 times yeah in four hours uh uh-huh. but when people stop showing up for the game because they know that the 22 start you know 22 guys aren't there I mean that's that's not even 22 starters that's half the goddamn team yeah so anyhow I digress though. They, they do need to fix that. Something needs to happen with that. I don't know if, if, if they'll be able to now it's kind of like a snowball effect with, yeah. with all this thing that's going on, but, uh, getting back to, uh, Michigan Wolverines, um, look, all I'm going to say is this is a team of destiny. It truly is. Yeah. Right. Um, Everybody stayed. Everybody's in it to win it. They don't, this doesn't seem, there isn't a selfish person or player on this team. And that culture comes from the coach. Mm -hmm. So you say what you want about this guy, but he's one of the best coaches that Michigan has probably ever seen. And, you know, they, they tried to persecute him twice. (laughs) They kicked him out of six games. This is a very motivated team. Yeah. Now, pins and needles versus uh, Texas, right? Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of things that you had to kind of c- cover your eyes and look like look through your fingers at. <laughs> uh, but, uh, for Bama, you mean? Oh, uh, Bama. Right? Yeah, mean, yeah. All right. Yeah, my fault. Um, but yeah, I mean, so but those are uh, dare I say it's a they're fun games to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't see them. I think they're gonna win everything. They're gonna take the whole thing. Uh, I was talking to a guy today. I said, you know, he's a Buckeye fan, so you know, he's and a stupid Buckeye fan, so he's salty that they're as far ahead, you know, <laughs> far along as they are. Mm-hmm. And I said, hey, listen, dude, they're gonna win the whole thing. Um, and he's like, you think so? And I was like, yeah they're on a mission man yeah i mean i just feel it mm-hmm. i could be wrong but i don't see how this the this washington team can stop them if they play to the caliber that their defense is is able to play yeah and yeah. i mean i'm looking for a lot of sacks i'm looking for a lot of negative yardage i'm looking for a lot of batted passes mm-hmm. um but we'll see. Yeah, that's kind of the only thing we can do at this point. Um, I mean, what do you think? Do you think Washington – the test was Alabama, if you ask me. Uh, I don't know if I'd go that far. I think
1: Al- or um, Washington has what is potentially the most explosive offense in college football at the moment with Michael Pinnock Jr. and uh, Rome Odunze. However, their defense is not good. It's just straight up not good. Um, so, the one of the oldest football cliches that I was ever taught um, was defense wins championships. Um, right. And Michigan's defense is the best in the in the nation. So, I would well. I would expect them to play
0: well. With that being said, you know we need uh we need a uh electrified offense as well so yeah, we, can, we can make defensive plays for 60 minutes if we don't get some points on the board that's trouble yeah. because god forbid i hope these guys take some fucking nerve pills or dramamine or something <laughs> because i don't if if special teams puts me through the heartache that they put me through during that Alabama team. Yeah. Where you can't field a, a, a kickoff or a punt. Uh, yeah. I mean it's it won't be a good night. <laughs> that was uh, that was
1: actually like torture to watch up until things started to somehow go Michigan's way, almost like a a
0: divine intervention. <laughs> Um, yeah, but I mean, even it went down to the last play of the game in overtime, where did. they only had to pick up three yards. Yeah, and they
1: probably the snap was a little messed up, and I think Milrow kind of
0: shit his pants. And well, uh, they had been doing that all night. Yeah, they had several low snaps. Um, so yeah, but anyhow, yeah, I I can't wait. It you know, it's been a while.
1: <laughs> well, I've never seen us in this position uh at, and I was uh last time was 97 so I was 28 years old yeah I don't know if you have any memory of that but
0: I'm sure I watched it yeah um, but other than that no <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah so I'm in it was a while ago. we're both kind of in uncharted territory but yeah I'm in totally uncharted territory which is Probably why uh you know, emotions <laughs> won over after the Alabama game, but oh, yeah. that's the beauty of sports, I suppose.
0: Well, I'll tell you what it does for me is um if they win everything, and even if they don't, I mean they're Rose Bowl champions, I can sport some gear around here without people saying too much. Yeah. You know, when when the worst is when there's a streak. And that the the nutheads get really big. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so if they if they win at all, then you know, you ought, I ought to be able to sport some some gear. You probably. I don't know what it's like living that close to Columbus. I don't think that's a is that a no can do scenario.
1: I I wear it at, on the campus of Otterbein because. You know, we're not Ohio State, and there are people not from Ohio, so it's not like insufferable by any means. Right. No one. I gonna...
0: wouldn't wear any downtown.
1: No, I don't. I've never done that. <laughs> Probably won't ever, honestly. Um, but yeah, you know, you, you know, for twenty, almost twenty-one years, that's just kind of the shit I've always dealt with, and it's kind of well, the way it goes. But
0: yeah, it's too bad. It's too bad it has to be that way, to be honest. But um, yeah, we were with some friends over the weekend, and you were there too. That are really big Alabama fans, and and Pam actually texted me after the game and congratulated us on the win, which I thought was really nice because she's diehard. Yeah, and uh, they were telling stories about when they went to Tennessee, how bad it was. Yeah. Bama fans when they were in Tennessee it's too it's just too bad that it has to be that way yeah I I like a little friendly banter everyone does but this is it's college football people okay (laughs) you know fucking life yeah I got a life you got a life we like our team we love our team but it's not like that yeah you know I I can say Ohio State Buckeyes I don't have to call them some dumb name yeah exactly (laughs) right Yeah, but anyhow. So yeah, looking forward to the game, and uh, we'll have to uh, hopefully maybe uh, have a celebratory uh, intro for the next podcast. (laughs) We will. will We're sad. sad. We're sad. (laughs) One or the other. We'll see. But uh, could be some Sarah McLaughlin for (laughs) you. Might be. Might be a little
1: in the arms of the angels going on, but. All right, well, I think at at this rate, it's all but time to close her down. So if you have nothing else to say, I say we'll let her ride. We almost made a full hour,
0: so dad will be happy. You say i know i could never face someone that could sound like me. All the right and all core executive and the producer we're richard tanaka we have no associate producers for this particular show so yeah, we're going down. Right this has been tackling the, the chicane copyright so 2024 yeah, we right right we'll see you guys next time so yeah,